American is a complex of occasions, themselves a geometry of spatial nature. I have this sense that I am one with my skin. Plus this. Plus But I do want to make sure I introduce people because I've been very bad at doing that. Um, <laughs> so I might even let Kevin do it. All right. Um, I'm going to have to run downstairs in a couple okay. of minutes because someone is dropping something off to my house. So I'll let you guys know before it happens. He sent me like a ways it'll let me know where he is on the way, which no one's ever done for me before, which is like... What kind of drop-off is this? <laughs> um, it's a microphone for an event I'm doing tomorrow. Okay. Hey, Kevin's we got just... a microphone stand. <laughs> well, we could, if we put them together. <laughs> I've got, this is my microphone stand. So. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Yeah, you can't even see it, but there's a couple of, a uh, couple of, uh, oh shit. There's a, there's a couple of wife beaters stuffed in the box to kind of hold it in place. <laughs> I have, wait, I wonder if I still have it. I had like a thing of hand cream that I lost the top of. So I put it in a jar. I put the jar of hand cream, a little jar of hand cream into this mason jar and then shoved a paper cup into the bottom of it so that the little hand cream jar was just right at the perfect. <laughs> and I kept it like that for months. <laughs> Incredible. If it works. Called resilience. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um you want me to Evan, you want me to introduce these people? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do, let's it. do it. All right. Well, uh thanks for joining us on uh episode six of the train car podcast tonight. We've got the uh editors and founders of Dinner Bell magazine, uh Howard, Emerin, and Emma. Uh Dinner Bell magazine is uh an art and uh, literary publication uh, centered on all things food, kind of a leftist, left of center, uh, way out there, wild, um, you know, funny, experimental uh, food publication. And I think they could probably describe it better than I did just now. But that's who we've got with us tonight. Uh, say hello, everybody, I guess. Hello. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hello. Yeah, thank Great you guys job for being here. Dinner bell. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know this, but on the website, <laughs> we're actually streaming live right now. <laughs> That's not true, is it? <laughs> That's yeah. not true. No. no, no. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the little ticker here. We've got two thousand listeners. <laughs> we're on Twitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, can we get a can we get a beverage rundown? I see that Emron yeah. is drinking something. Yeah, what you got? Yeah, Howard and I are drinking. Why don't you tell them about this wine? Howard's a a wine person now mm. for a living. I work at a liquor store. <laughs> Hell yeah! Hell yeah! What's the wine we're drinking? Uh, it's the cheapest, biggest bottle of white wine that we have in the store. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> nice. 
I'm rocking Aldi seltzer, the grapefruit. <laughs> so, yeah. Emma, you got any drinks? Yeah, I'm drinking um, a non-alcoholic liquor that's called Dorami, which is not, it's like Swedish, so I don't think you pronounce it Dorami. But I'm mixing that with the Poland, not Poland, I'm sorry, Polar Ginger Lime Mule Seltzer, which is regional. I got it up there when I was visiting Emerson and Howard, and it's delicious. They don't make it in Pittsburgh. <clears throat> yeah, the Polar the Polar Seltzer game is next level. I got to experience it briefly when I was in Maine, but yeah, home home of the Polar. Have y'all had their soda, the lemon lime soda? No, the Polar soda. It's uh, I haven't had that. Good. I've had their cranberry soda, and it's weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's oh, their ginger ale's good. Yeah, uh huh. I was on a plane. Was I only I only drink ginger ale on a plane, and, <laughs> and I, I don't know why. It's just like a habit reflex. But I did that recently. It was. Sick. Uh, I can only drink ginger. I only allow myself to drink ginger ale from the day before Thanksgiving to the day after New Year's. Otherwise, I'll go completely feral for ginger ale and, and stop drinking water altogether. Yeah, ginger ale is delicious. Um, I've got the. Thanks for asking, but um, <laughs> I've got the uh, dregs of some emergency here. Hell Ooh, yeah. Wow. Excellent choice. Nice. Yeah. Keep that immune system up. Mm -hmm. you, when you guys drink the emergency, do you go full cup or just like a shot kind of ratio? What's your water to? I'm I usually like glass. more water. Really? Like a full glass. Oh. Yeah. You, you could do that too. I always like just shoot it down. Like I'll fill it up like just enough where it's like a, like, like almost a shot and I will throw that thing back. When I had COVID over the summer though, I was doing this crazy shit. It was the only thing that made me feel better, but I had like this big like blender bottle and I would put uh, two um, liquid IVs and a, and a berry emergency and fill that thing up. And it would be the only thing that wow. I could taste. Like it, that was it. Uh, that sounds, honestly, that sounds so good. We've just recently got into liquid IV in our household. Yeah. Game changer. Game changer. Truly a game changer. I don't know anything about that. Oh. Have you guys met Rosemary? Probably not. This is Rosemary. No. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Yeah. Howard showed me a picture of her. Oh. Very cute. Big. Big, almost as big as that hoagie you ate today. Yeah. Oh yeah. Do we want to go back to the hoagie for a second? I do oh, want to know about the hoagie. I'd bar about the hoagie. Yeah. Well, grinder. Grinder. Sorry. Grinder. Grinder. I'm not down on the <clears throat> New England lingo yet, but yeah, it was from this place called D's Deli in Cranston, Rhode Island. We got a Italian, which comes with I don't. You have to. What are the meats? Salami. It looks like capicola salami. Provolone, Le lettuce, onion, tomato, hot oil vinegar, hotties, oil hotties, yeah. And then we got a tuna sub, and the tuna sub, honestly, I liked it better. What? Um, I love stuff. tuna. Hotties. I love tuna. Yeah. yeah, I love tuna. It was great, but they were yeah, like massive. You would have to stand back here to get it <laughs> in the screen. Yeah, that's but sick. Do they put it? I have so many questions, but do they put mayo on Italian subs or is that just like 
that's a no, right? You can add it on, but it doesn't I think it's really standard. popular up here for people to put mayo, but I I know it's like sacrilegious in other places. So yeah. they like asked me about it, but Howard Howard was not a mayo person mm -hmm. before we started dating. So <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't eat mayo before I met you. Well, I liked it on French fries, but now I would yeah. I wouldn't mind it on an Italian sub. It's not my first choice, but yeah, I can I can see why that would work. Yeah, I, I just I got into a Kewpie mayo recently. Oh, how do you like to eat your Kewpie? Uh, one of the so I brought I brought a bottle of Kewpie mayo and a loaf of challah bread back from New York, and honestly, I was just spreading the Kewpie mayo right on the challah bread. That rules. It was so good. We'll have to mail you. They make wasabi Kewpie. Like what? hot wasabi flavored Kewpie mayo that is so so good. Like, but you have you can't eat as much of it because it's so spicy. I've never seen it anywhere except for the Asian uh, supermarket up here. So, yeah, that sounds amazing. It's like this, like kind of, yeah, wasabi green color too. So <clears throat> good for photos. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I I didn't eat mayo for the longest time. Like I couldn't do it. I don't know. And then one day I just did it and there was no turning back. <laughs> like I liked mayo in things, but I couldn't just do it myself. I don't know. And then I made a grilled cheese the other day and instead of putting butter on the side, put mayo on it, toast yeah. it up. Mm -hmm. Game changer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I yeah. bet Kewpie would be nuts like that. Oh yeah. 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 Mayo on the grilled cheese is like that shot of a, uh... Vince, Vince McMahon with his head all the way back and his eyes bugging out. <laughs> Maybe that'll have to be the next Dinner Bell cover. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, so tell us about Dinner Bell. Um, <laughs> Not a great question. Let me ask that again. Uh, where, what have you guys been up to lately with Dinner Bell? <sighs> more reasonable question <laughs> we're working on the third issue um we spent a long time with this one which i think has felt really nice to work sort of just fully on our own pace um for me creatively i feel like that lack of sense of urgency we still have some sense of urgency but i think just to be able to like sort of move at the speed of trust works really well for us. We did that with the last one also, but this one's almost ready to go. Like we're ready to send it to a printer yeah. really soon. What yeah. changed in the, in the editorial process that kind of uh, loosened things up from the first issue to now? Why, why is the, why is the pace different? Is it because does, does that have to do with the actual funding of the project and be, being boxed in by that? Or is it something else? I think it's partially like the fact that we all, you know, have other jobs and other demands on our time. So like finding the sweet spot of, and we also all don't live in the same place anymore. So there were some like natural changes with how we collaborated. Um, but I, I can, I'll speak for myself. I, I think that what's really been interesting kind of going back to what Emma said is like, I feel like we were spending a lot of time thinking about like what the Dinner Bell brand is. 
um, because we were like, when we started doing this, we kind of were just, uh, I don't know. We were like, we just want to put something out and see what happens. And I think in the past, I don't know, three years, there's been so many more food publications that have started popping up and people like, not to say we did it first by any means, but like, I think that there's a more, in, more interest in print media too, in like this different way. And so I think we've spent a lot of time thinking about like, well, what, who are we and what do we want to actually put out into the world? And those conversations always take a lot longer than you think they will. So yeah, it's been fun though. I think we have a better understanding. Right. So you feel, you feel like the mission is a little bit more clearly defined now. I mean, obviously, I mean, naturally it would be if you're gone on to the third issue. When is that? When do you, do you have a timeline for when you think that's going to be out? I think spring. I feel like maybe end of April, but uh, hopefully launching the pre-order next month. Don't hold me to that. I was like, I don't want to say any deadlines on this podcast because I feel like we can't actually hold firm to that, but soon. Uh, as soon as we find a, yeah. we nailed down a printer. Really, we're trying to, you know, maybe find someone local. Um, it's always better to work with a local printer because you can actually see a proof before you sign off on like 300 copies or getting mailed to your house or whatever. And the, uh, I don't know, the covers off by like four inches or something, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> How's it been like, because you all started in Pittsburgh, right? When everybody was living there. Has there been... How's it been lately? Like, has it been a lot of like Zoom calls and everything, planning everything out, or how do you guys normally do it? Yeah, we're a Zoom crew. Zoom crew. <laughs> we used to be a like lay on the floor, meet at the bar crew, and now we're like strictly business on Zoom. <laughs> not strictly business. We're not strictly business. <laughs> we're not strictly business, at all. but it is a really different. I mean, it's different to not to have a different sense of the energy exchange and like doing friendship through a computer and through a phone for like over a year is just a totally different thing. Totally. Yeah. It's strange. It is different for sure. Um, have there been, is, is there like stuff in the third issue that you guys can talk about that you're really excited about or not yet? Yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Sweet. Tell us a little bit about that. What are you oh hyped on? I I mean I I've just been doing the last like you know final draft copy edit. I'm um, just combing through it, uh, super close read, and just like there are some lines in some of these pieces that are really like it is really fabulous. Just you know we we encourage like first first time publication for people. You know you know and we're super open to working really close with with writers um it's just i don't know it's just really rewarding when someone has not published anything in a literary magazine and you're just getting this you know i don't know just fresh voice and it's just packed full of like really like awkward raw beautiful stuff it's just it's great it's really great yeah someone submitted a a play or a portion of a play for this issue which that's been very cool to like workshop and figure out how we're actually going to put that out. And 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's so rewarding to have a to work on a project where we are talking so much with the people that we're printing. Like we're going back to them, we're saying, well, what do you think about this component of it? And, you know, like folks that have never been published before were, you know, they're asking us questions. It feels like we're not, I don't know, it kind of takes out the, I guess, like hierarchy of what publications can sometimes feel like. So um, yeah, that's been super cool. Yeah, one thing I really like about Dinner Bell is it's genreless or like, yeah, I guess that's a, a good way to describe it. I don't know, but it's like, you know, uh, it's not unusual to, it wouldn't be unusual to see a play beside like a recipe or something else in there. And I always find that to be really sick. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think that's, that's definitely part of part. Yeah. That's also part of what I really love about it and what makes it unique. Cause I think most other publications in that format a uh like a like a open call for submissions type of journal one you get almost no interface with the most of the editors of most of those publications uh you wait you know seven months for a for a form rejection and then that's it and the mission of dinner bell is kind of the opposite, like you said, you're you're encouraging, you know, uh, you know, raw work by people who haven't been published before. And I also just think it's really useful for I wish I just wish more things were structured like that, because with Dinner Bell, not only is there this openness and transparency with how you guys operate and you guys are, you know, actually approachable and we'll talk to people, but also just the fact that it's organized around an idea instead of a style i mean it just makes it so much i think it just makes it so much easier for um people to actually determine whether or not it's worth their time to submit to you instead of just taking a total shot in the dark like you have to with a lot of other things so that's something that i i know i really admire about it thanks for saying all that kevin that feels like a really like keen and kind understanding of the work we do and i think I mean, it, it totally is genreless. And I think there's a lot of pieces, especially in this issue, that really play with what writing about food means. Stories that start being about one thing and the way they work food into the narrative is not, I mean, there's a lot of pieces that are very surprising, I think. Yeah. Surprising in the way they work food in and just surprising in general. And that's really fun. That's the stuff that's really fun for me to read, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what we always wanted. We wanted like it to feel like people could experiment and try things with style or with content that they'd never tried before. And like, you know, we want that. We want the stuff that doesn't fit or that feels risky. Because um, once you put all that stuff together, you have something really exciting. So yeah, that yeah. was one thing I was thinking of. Sorry, who was talking? No, you, no, go, go ahead, ahead. Kevin. Well, I'm just going to say, yeah, it's it the the publication is a prompt, and I think that's 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 what makes it special. Yeah, and and going off that too, it was just it's like the collaborativeness of it, you know, as it kind of exists as its own thing, rather than now, you know, with with like online journals and stuff, it seems like one of my friends will have a poem or something published, and I'll just rarely will I read the entire issue 
just like admittedly, right? I'll just look at their poem and see what's going on. But like with Dinner Bell, it's like you want to see what's next and how they're in conversation with each other, you know, how the essay or the play or the short story or the poem are kind of weaving food in in creative ways and stuff. It's sick. Makes me wonder, um, like kind of what you guys were uh, like, how did you all start this? Like whose idea was it and kind of what was what was the mission and how have you guys kept to it? I, well, I think Emran that started it. <laughs> She's so shy. I'm like, Emran, Emran came up with this brilliant idea. Well, I think what, well, it was like a combination of a lot of things. It was, I was in this food writing class in grad school and um, I was like, really excited by the food media that was out there and felt like wow this is like people there's so much opportunity um but so many of the publications then and even still now are like you know really like centered on white male chefs and kind of this toxic culture of restaurants that i think is always trendy for some reason um and the bear <laughs> yes it's like it's like, the, it's the like no, nobody has ever actually worked in a restaurant and they just want to be like constantly i don't know like re-traumatized about it but uh, i mean full confession like i watched the bear and i really enjoyed it but there there's sort of this like after school special component of like it's this really traumatic work environment, but they all get together for a meal beforehand. So it's okay. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And then Howard knew a lot about printing and creating zines and Emma was in the same grad program as me. And so we were kind of like thinking in the like food media landscape. And I think we just like put a call out on Instagram and we're like, send us weird stuff. And then it just happened and kind of, I think we got like over a hundred submissions on the first one, which we were all very overwhelmed and kind of shocked by, but speaks to the fact that like people really wanted something that felt more, I don't know, welcoming to creativity within food writing so yeah that's a total field of dreams situation <laughs> we're gonna hire you kevin to totally rewrite our whole <laughs> i feel like cool. everything you've said so far has been so spot on <laughs> i i appreciate that i'm actually i'm actually like actively looking for for jobs in like the copywriting and editing and technical field right now um which is funny because it's a field that I'm not in. So I have a lot of work to do. Um, so, you know, anyway, you know, just putting that out there. Um, I'd be happy to, to, to totally rebrand you in my image. <laughs> Kevin's consulting firm. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> Give me your first client. That sounds great. My, my rate is $500 an hour. So you know. Well, we actually just won the lottery, so you're, you're in. Don't worry. That's great. Uh, well, uh, yeah. I mean, Evan and I haven't really talked about like my wage for this podcast yet, but there's a big <laughs> conversation coming about that. So, you gotta get some sponsorships, get some ads thrown in. <laughs> yeah, we'll run an ad. 
I, like the quip toothbrush, yeah, athletic yeah. greens. Yeah, 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 Bombas socks. Yeah, that's coming yeah. next week. <laughs> next week on the pod. Next week. <laughs> yeah. That is funny that you brought up like the restaurant culture uh, being toxic because I was thinking about this too and I wanted to ask you all like who some of your favorite food writers are and then i was sitting back and i was reflected on that question and i was like what do i even mean by that um because it does seem like there's like you know like the bourdain lineage of like thinking about food in certain ways and then there's also i mean obviously i think dinner buff speaks to it where there is that avenue now that exists for people who are uh interested in food and artistic and and uh finding avenues to to share with that um but like just maybe just like thinking about food writing as kind of its own kind of type of writing what do you generally look for um in when you're publishing and putting together dinner bell in terms of like how the work speaks to food is there anything in mind or uh just a, a mention of mom spaghetti <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the million dollar question. We really feels like we just kind of know when we're reading the submissions, what is and what isn't right. But um, I don't know, but really it's like, as long as it's not a strict recipe, it's pretty much open. Uh, I like, uh, I, I get most jazzed about the really experimental things, so the play for instance or when mm -hmm. uh there's one really amazing um grief poem that's in the form of a, of a recipe um uh things like that that just really like play with the surface level of of food writing to achieve something more deep deeper than than just a recipe or what have you um but when i'm reading food writing i really like the essay type stuff uh i like a little bit of recipe thrown in but i really like to know about the experience of eating and not just the taste but like the feel and what things look like and what's swimming around on the plate um i want to know about like beauty on the plate or on a table or like in a kitchen or whatever there's um this one writer named rebecca johnson rebecca may johnson um who just put out a book uh, and her substack is really amazing. And um, and there's these folks in England called Ecstasy Cookbook that just write these really like Baroque, gorgeous passages about just whatever random like art shit they're at while they're like eating, I don't know, curd puffs on 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 like pieces of crepe paper or whatever. Um, but it's always really beautiful, and that's what I like to read. Um, but uh, you know, as you know, dinner bell, we take all forms, so not just you know personal essays about eating so yeah i don't know if that doesn't really answer the question but yeah. no i think it was spot on yeah yeah think, that's oh, i'm sorry go ahead before too like things that are uh yeah things we haven't seen before it, i guess something that was really interesting with volume three that we hadn't done in the past is we brought in some like outside reviewers um, to help us, like once we'd done a first pass through, um, because we were like, we didn't want to, I think we were feeling kind of limited in our point of view and wanted to make sure that like, 
we had other, the project was not just us. Um, and, and so that was a really interesting, like new layer for us because there were things that, you know, these outside reviewers were like, oh, this piece really resonated with me in a way that it didn't with one of us. And so I think, um, that like the negotiation of how we get to the final pieces always takes a lot longer than we think, but, um, yeah, it's a fun, fun process. We don't argue too much. Sometimes we argue, but. <laughs> but I think we've also set up some cool, like democratic practices of, and I think we've done this for every issue where we all get one, even if you guys hate this for publishing it piece, which we we mostly agree. But I think having that sort of safeguard of like, if, if one of us feels really strongly that this speaks to the amorphous vision of vision and mission of the project, like it does because we say it does. And that way we sort of all still make sure that like, there's same thing with bringing other folks in is like, it makes sure that there's still some broadness that covers our personal and creative differences. Yeah, and it makes sure you're, it keeps your friendship intact too. So you don't have to, you know. <laughs> yeah, have I mean, I think the the like the, the yeah, the how you main work with friendships and like this project that's almost like a business at this point. You know, you got to set those boundaries of like making sure that things are not bleeding into one or the other space. So I think that that one piece has helped a lot. It's also funny that legally we own a business together. <laughs> like technically we're all small business owners and we just like no to capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> like we share an EIN every <laughs> day. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty yeah, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> I think Kevin's wage may force uh, our podcast into that direction too. Uh, oh yeah! So you better believe it. <laughs> <laughs> Got to know your worth, you know. <laughs> oh, we're gonna have a long conversation about my wage. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Um, I mean, I, I'm very, I'm very much. Uh, very much unemployed so <laughs> no no is no the, real commentary there um restaurant closed for the season oh uh, no i got fired <laughs> oh man oh, i'm sorry restaurant culture That's... uh um well, I won't go. I won't go too far in, into it, but uh, you know, obviously, it was not my fault. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> I got grabbed a job working a couple days a week at another kitchen, and I quit straight away because it was like eight-hour dishwashing shifts, and my and uh, my body just couldn't handle it. It is it it, it is uh, really interesting the way that the way that that type of bullshit is. Uh, is romanticized um and yeah i don't know there definitely needs to be room for other kinds of narratives to come in and i think that dinner bell is also like a place where you know i think like you all have have um i i, I am kind of curious like is there anything uh um 
represented coming up in the issue um that is like focused on like labor around food or work culture around food in this specific issue coming up yeah i feel like it comes up indirectly in all of them the one the piece i'm thinking of is um it's Laura, laura's piece maybe we can bleep out the name because <laughs> but no it's about uh an anchovy this person they're like working at a uh, restaurant and they're trying to explain to a guest what an anchovy is like what the size of an anchovy is is that right am I am I right it's I, I think it's that the person was like I asked for this without anchovies and they're like these aren't anchovies these are capers yeah and so they come oh. out with two plates <laughs> and they're like this is an anchovy this is a caper so there's that one and there's also there's a really phenomenal piece um from a person from Pittsburgh who works as a baker that writes the full, the whole story is from the perspective of her KitchenAid mixer who feels really abandoned because she goes to work every day and then comes home and just like covers up the mixer and like doesn't want to bake and hasn't wanted to bake or use the mixer in months and months and months. And so it's all of her kitchen equipment. That's fascinating. Sort of yeah, that's a good yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think there was more like, you know, commercial kitchen content in volume two than yeah. there was in volume three. Not by any sort of intention, just kind of the way the, I wonder the if cookie crumbles. Because that was right. Volume two, we did, we published during COVID, which was, yeah. yeah I yeah, I mean, I imagine people, based on when submissions were open for volume three, people were, I mean, people were definitely thinking about food really differently than they had prior because a lot more eating was happening in our homes. And I think also a lot of people that were working in food service were just having a really different relationship to it. Like I, I was working in food service for the entirety of the pandemic and was up until a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I did not want to write about my job mm -hmm. because it was so stressful and so overwhelming and it took up a lot of space and it was like the greatest food service job on earth, like truly, but as a writer, that's not what I would have wanted to write about. Yeah, yeah. for sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Especially with the pandemic and just how, you know, that really did change the way that we think about food, experience food. Um, I mean, at least in Pittsburgh, you know, whenever I, whenever I was there, you know, I remember going to like, just these restaurants and, and, uh, and, and then that now, like after I moved away, seeing like some of them just like closed down and shit. So it was also like really traumatizing for the people and the workers there too, I imagine. So yeah, that's interesting how that, how the culture around food does kind of inform uh, you know, the writing and, and it, and it kind of breeds that kind of, I don't know, narratives of stuff, toxic stuff that we talked about earlier, but yeah, that's sick. Um, I was, I was also thinking a little bit about, um, uh, with like challenges that you guys maybe have encountered with, with dinner bell and stuff like that. Has there been anything, have you guys like had to like arm wrestle 
each other or have you all gotten along pretty well or uh I, I don't know it just reminds me of like a band in some ways you know like i don't know you guys seem like a kick-ass band of of people working together um uh but i was just wondering like it seems like the reception's been really good and you guys are getting steady submissions you mentioned you got a hundred on the first first issue how many did you guys get for this one more yeah yeah that's I, I don't know offhand. I feel like it was maybe closer to 170, nice. but uh, maybe. Do you guys remember? I feel like that that sounds right. I think one challenge that's not interpersonal, but has to do with like the way the three of us relate to the world is that the way that social media has changed since we started the publication has been really significant. And when we started, I think we were able to get 100 submissions because... It was like you post on Instagram and then people see it. And now it's like, you have to post on Instagram a video of you like dancing <laughs> with your cat and a ball spinning on your head in order to get like significant positive reception. And none of us are very online mm -hmm. in that way. And that's really changed the way like, I mean, that'll change the way we do the release of this one in some way, or it'll change the reception of the release. That's just like, a cultural shift that we've all been sort of adapting to as yeah. for me the internet is like a less fun and sexy place to be on it's kind of like i'm shielding my eyes mm -hmm. yeah absolutely yeah, yeah that's something we've talked a lot about on this podcast i feel like it comes up with like writer people is like just talking about how much the internet sucks but it's also like a necessity for mm -hmm. us all um but I was just, Kevin, you could probably help with that. You're pretty good at like making videos. I was thinking about the one uh, where your email get, got hacked recently. I hate to. That could probably. You know, I mean, yeah, when, when inspiration strikes, it really, really strikes, you know. And there are moments when I'm happy to be back on social media. Um, but, you know, mostly um, it makes me feel terrible yeah so, so terrible um, yeah I feel like I'm like very online both like with my job and with who I am but like there's a difference between like being online versus like putting stuff online <laughs> like mm -hmm. that's the part for me that I can't I'm like I never want to put out anything on the internet again um which will definitely be a challenge for our publication, but hopefully we've been talking about like other ways to move away from Instagram being our only source of like how we engage with our audience. So I don't know about you all, but I've seen like a huge uptick in people resonating with like newsletters, things that come mm -hmm. directly into your inbox or like, you know, we've talked about Substack. We've talked about like, I think that people want authenticity on the internet and social media doesn't feel authentic but for some reason when someone sends you an email even if it's not just to you it feels more authentic i don't know to me but yeah that's not as uh it you know you're not it's a little like sending sending it like an email newsletter or so it's a little bit it's less passive than social media so it's got a little bit more meaning to it um but 
Yeah, I mean, I would imagine, you mean, so so many of the people who found you either as readers or contributors have found you through some form of social media. Um, so I think that there's, um, there's definitely good things about it for sure. Um, it's, it's usefulness, you know, when it is useful, it, it's, it's kind of hard to refute it, but then, then it's this, but then it, when it's not, it's this thing that's kind of going on in the, in the background of your, of your, of your mind, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, a worry stone and you open it up and you look at garbage and, and then, you know, maybe once every couple of months you uh, connect with somebody that you actually really want to talk to or, or see something really interesting. But I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's kind of a, it, it, for, for people who legitimately care about something um, and want to see that birthed out into the world, it's, it's, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that being engaged with social media as it stands at this moment is a pretty heavy sacrifice. Um, I think that if you, if, if, for, if there are people out there who engage with it more passively and really, really don't have any vested interest in seeing, using it for any one thing in particular, maybe that's different, but um, yeah, that's definitely, I think it's hard for, for writers and artists, for example, um, people who just naturally are um, tend to have a harder time dis disconnecting, um, you know, from their moral center. Um, but then they have this thing that uh, says that it's a necessity. Um, so I don't know. Um, it feels like that. I think you have to have a really clear brand. I, I mean, that's, that's the way I've experienced it. Like, what you're putting out has to like make sense with who you are and like what you're trying to do. And so I think that's been really hard for us because we're like thinking of what our like brand identity is feels not like not productive to who we are as a publication in some ways. So it's mm -hmm. like, how much of this do we need to do in order to reach new audiences and like, find people that will want to work with us versus how much can we do to like still maintain a sense of who we are as a publication. And yeah. I think that, that's like the constant negotiation that we all have with, with it. So. Yeah. If I'm, on, if I'm on the internet and I run across something that I actually like and want to follow something like dinner bell, I'm glad in that moment that. Yeah. Those people have, you know, sacrifice some part of their mental health to <laughs> make the thing that they're making accessible for me. So um, there, there is like a, I think a significant, something significant about that culture of, of give and take when you're sharing stuff for sure. But I mean, I know that, I know that it is, uh, I know that you guys, you know, deep down don't like it. So um, <laughs> yeah. We're learning yeah. to like it. <laughs> and I think it's also like we do have a brand, but it's not necessarily a brand that we can constantly recreate and reproduce like product and content around the same way like zines that did not use the internet to circulate had brands that were just what they were. And the way the brand lived out in the world was because the zine existed. 
exactly and so it's funny for us to have to like be content creators when the content we're creating is like we put out a publication mm -hmm. right and it's kind of on its own its own schedule it's like uh what like sort of like a yearly or semi-yearly publication i think at this point um or maybe every couple of years that's yeah um yeah <laughs> sporadically annual you just call it sporadic it's sporadic sporadic <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah but, I mean, all that stuff we're saying about social media, but it's like, like what Emma was saying about the, the, well, the magazine is the content, like, but, you know, the way that we first interacted with everyone was on Instagram, that's where we, that's where everyone found out about us, we just made an Instagram and we just plopped ourselves on there, um, but now to have that same kind of engagement, you have to do so much more work to, like, please the algorithm, to, like, bump your your points up mm -hmm. to where your shit is disseminated, you know, for everyone to see it. Just like, and you don't have any energy to do the other stuff because you've already used your 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 uh, creative energy. You're like your moment of flow for the day, making like, yeah, you know, a four second video of you holding your cat with a ball spinning on your head. And you're like, I have a magazine, and you could go buy it, but not here. <laughs> <laughs> And then, yeah, and then you're exhausted. You're not going to go write or whatever because you've already written some shit that, like, maybe 100 people click a heart button and it's like, <laughs> and it's done for the day and you do it again. It's just, like, such a waste of time. But it is, like, but on the other side, like, if you do that and then 100 people click like on it, then it boosts it up and then, like, 400 people see it and then they're like I don't know maybe one of them buys the magazine I think that if the four of us five of us all of us on this call in like 40 years did a drunk history about Instagram it would crush <laughs> it would crush totally I don't even think we need to wait that long I think we could do it I think 10 years Instagram would be obsolete well I don't only be TikTok yeah, I was going to say, I mean, like, the way that things move, it's already, like, one iteration of Instagram is already dead. Like, we started this magazine in 2019. That version of Instagram does not exist. Like, it's fundamentally gone. Yeah. And the Instagram that I used in college with, like, the sepia tone uh, filter <laughs> yeah. is gone, too. Yeah. 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 I mean, they all just, like, they're, like... Yeah, I don't know. They're just, they're gone. I mean, MySpace is gone. Facebook's basically gone. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, Instagram's going to be gone too soon. But we are starting a Substack. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, what's next or what are you guys doing to, to combat this? We're starting a Substack. <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah. What is that? What is that going to entail? Are you going to be, um, is it, are you guys going to be writing the majority? of the content for that? Or are you going to be soliciting contributors to write for it? A little bit of both. We're still trying to figure out what the like exact ratios are going to be. Um, but, but yeah, we're going to have little, you know, recurring con columns from the three of us and guest, what do we call it? Guest chef. Um, to come in and, and write. 
uh, we had talked to Evan about that briefly. Um, I'd love to do that. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, I, you know, I'm I think not a chef, but yeah, I everyone's certainly... a chef. Everyone's That's a chef. the Nobel rule. Everyone's a chef. Like uh, yeah, but you know, just having like a a variety of like kind of low stakes content. You know, I I, I love you know we can just generate some prompts and get some like kind of I don't know cool shit. Just it's not quite as um, you know heavily edited and stylized as the magazine. Yeah. Conversation building and yeah, there's an algorithm somewhere. We put out one thing like roughly once a year, so it's also like difficult maintaining that presence in the in between times and the times when we're like, you know, really not thinking about how we're talking about what we're doing to the people that care about what we're doing. Um, and we've started to, we've started accepting submissions on a rolling basis. So kind of hoping now that like we can still have dinner bell always be a published thing, but the Substack will allow us to, I think, just have more fun in the in-between times. And easier access points, yeah. like just that you can go onto the internet and get a clear scope of what Dinner Bell, which is an art and writing project, is rather than looking at a social media page, you can read some writing. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah, that's smart. I think that'll do really great. Um, I think a lot of people will definitely sign up for that. Sounds super exciting. Yeah, we'd love you both to to put something on it. <laughs> Maybe we'll collaborate and do that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of cheeses and snacks, my 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 column is going to focus pretty heavily on um, culinary uh, misadventures of um, the touring lifestyle. A lot mm. of cheeses. Yeah, I was bef before this conversation. I was actually reflecting on one um, one particular tour moment with you, Howard. That's always stuck in my mind. Because we definitely were witness to some of the horrors of the universe uh, <laughs> at times eating on tour. And what uh, I remember, uh, we went to uh, King Tut Drive-In in Beckley. And you ordered a, um, a submarine sandwich. And uh, you, you uh, we were standing in the parking lot and you unwrapped the sandwich, unwrapped like the top half of it. And it was kind of like a Viagra commercial, like the sandwich sort of went like whoop and like a bunch of like uh, mayonnaise covered uh, tomatoes and onions shot out of it onto the ground. And, and you said something like the thing that you said in the moment was really funny and I can't really remember it, but it was something like, God, fuck. God, I always fucking order wrong at these places. <laughs> what are you eating? And I was like, I'm eating a meatloaf sandwich. You're like, Fuck, that's what I should have gotten. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. It's a very accurate hard impression. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Something compels me to try to like order shit that I don't normally eat at places like that where they're pretty much built around you ordering exactly what you're used to eating. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, and in some cases, it's sort of like the it, it's like uh, with some it, it, like 
they really only make like two things and then the rest of the menu is there as some kind of like a legal stipulation like it has to, <laughs> like it has to be you know like a company has to like solicit outside interviews for a job or whatever or it's illegal you know you have to have like you have to have the submarine sandwich on the menu or it's not up to code or something but it's like you really are only supposed to get like hush puppies and a hot dog and two other things and the rest of the stuff is fine print that's definitely how i think how a lot of drive-ins are for sure um i thought you were gonna i really thought you were gonna talk about it, uh the um the bubbling sausage ezra's crab sandwich ezra's imitation crab sandwich or the uh the stack of of uh, ham salad sandwiches that oh my god yeah um the weird it, things that we eat <laughs> Ezra is our is our friend who lives in West Virginia is a poet um who in the, in the magazine yeah, yeah. I think been, we've published Ezra like twice now yeah and Ezra is like kind of known for well, when it's time to like get down on road food he'll go you know harder and wilder than everybody else and so like there was some great moments of like ezra like fell asleep like asleep on a folding couch with like an, an empty like a half-eaten like open package of uh of uh fake crab meat you know <laughs> like kind of you know holding it to his chest um, <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. well uh didn't we when we were in matewan um uh, one of the original one of the organizers of the original march on Blair Mountain, um, Wilma, maybe mm -hmm. Wilma Steele, is that right? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she she came, you know, to thank us for coming all the way down to meet one with this sack of of homemade white bread, uh, ham salad sandwiches, which is like just cubed ham and mayonnaise and probably some celery. Um, it was the bag that a loaf of bread comes yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. like, it, it had kind of, in my memory, it's a little bit like, um, you know, when you get a goldfish at the fair that like, it, <laughs> <laughs> it was like that. And then Ezra just like ate them all. <laughs> Got back to the Airbnb and like Beverly or wherever the next town was. Um, just like in the smell of the ham sandwich filling up. <laughs> yeah we'll have to get ezra to write about that for the sub <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh we're almost at the hour but i figured um i wanted to pose this question to you all uh it's a very silly question but i do want to know um i have like a list of foods here and i wanted you all to kind of rank them okay because <laughs> um uh and kevin you can get on to in on this too because you haven't seen this but um i figured we would do uh maybe five um so cottage cheese is number one hot dogs number two tater tots number three um i also have a curry on here um and then swedish fish so yeah. i wanted to know if the dinner bell aficionados could rank Swedish fish, curry, tater tots, hot dogs, and cottage cheese for us. 
So are we ranking right. them like best to worst? Yeah, let's do it. Wait, What's what your... was the what was the last one? I got Swedish fish, curry, cottage cheese, hot dogs, and um, uh, tater tots. <laughs> yeah, that's right. tater tots. I think we should do Mary fuck kill for free. <laughs> okay. Yeah, All I like right. that. All right, let's do that. Yeah. That's better. No, no, I knew I should have ran it by the production um, assistant. <laughs> I think we can do it both. I think Mary curry. Fuck hot dogs, kill Swedish fish. Kill Swedish fish. Oh my god. Why? Curries, curries are so there's endless variation there. So you want to take you want to put a ring on curry immediately. Hot dogs, glamorous. Don't really need to see them the next morning. <laughs> One and done. Oh, but you will pulsive in every everything about them. Get them out of here forever. <laughs> What tater tots? Swedish fish. I also, I would rank tater tots pretty low, wow. except for the fact that they're potatoes, so that brings them back up. Mm. See, they're tater my tots. favorite of potato product. They're top tier for me in terms mm. of potato product. Tater tots are. I, love I think them. I would just start fucking tater tots and keep <laughs> fucking them and not worry about any other emotions. <laughs> See, this is this is why we didn't do fuck Mary Kill Kevin because you get <laughs> you always get carried away with the fuck part. Um, is it, is it, are we trying to, are we trying to not uh, have too many swears on this show? Yeah, this is G, G rated. Um, I could, I think I could rank these pretty efficiently here. Um, starting in order of best to worst for me, I think I go tots, hot dogs, curry, cottage cheese. And for me, like Swedish fish is just kind of a, you know, that's kind of, it's not really a known quantity to me. I, I don't really know what the deal is with them. I, I remember having them maybe once when I was a teenager and just kind of, you know. Forgettable. Being, being confused by them. So that'd be my ranking. That's fine. That's fine. Imran, what about you? Well, my number one would be cottage cheese. I'm with you. I'm with you, babe. 100%. That is not. I think. That is I think gnarly the for me. Cheese is the best, one of my favorite foods, honestly. Um, it's so versatile. You can do so many things with it. It can be savory, it can be sweet. It's so high. You can food. make sweet cottage cheese, like with sugar. Yeah, and like stuff. cottage cheese and like peach slices. I feel like I ate that. Mm. There's like some honey on top of your cottage cheese. Oh, honey, yeah. That sounds good. That sounds yeah. good. So yeah, I would do cottage cheese and then hot dogs and then curry. Tater tots and then Swedish fish are also low for me, but I have really sensitive teeth, so can't really mm. do those gummies. <laughs> I think my ranking is exactly the same as Emran's, but I would fuck Swedish fish. Yeah. See, I'm wow. with you. I okay. love Swedish fish. It's not because I like Swedish fish. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> it's because there's something texturally about the way that Swedish fish can go from like hard mm -hmm. to soft and gummy when they're in your mouth that's like, that's what I want to fuck. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really good point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's no gelatin in uh, Swedish fish, there which I one. learned. Yeah. Yeah. Kosher. What is um, it? What is it made of? Just like sugar? Yeah. I don't know. That I don't know. That I don't know. Uh, but there, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see hot dogs are still in the up of uh, the train car group too. And Kevin, big hot dogs. Yeah. I mean, hot dogs. There's also very versatile. Yeah. So versatile. 
Rhode Island, they have this very specific Rhode Island hot wieners is what they call them. They're like bright pink. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're it's like Rhode Island mayonnaise dog, baby. <laughs> um, you should do a ham salad with hot dogs. That'd be actually sick. Whoa. That'd be good. I bet. Um, that would probably be good, yeah. But the Rhode Island hot wiener, it's like spicy, right? In a way. It's pretty close to, it's pretty close to a, West, a North Central West Virginia dog. It, mm -hmm. it, uh, they have like their, their chili sauce or whatever, which is the same kind, like no beans, um, onions, yellow mustard. Um, and the re real difference is they do celery salt mm -hmm. on it. Um, and yeah, that's just the yellow or the pink, pink leaners. And then you you have to eat them with um, you get a coffee mill. So there's there's this place here. The first time I ever went in there, it, they just make you feel bad. Um, but you, yeah, so I ordered a couple of hot dogs and the guy was like, you're not from around here. And he gave me a cup of coffee milk, which I'd heard of, but never tasted. Essentially, it's like milk with this coffee syrup that I don't think has any caffeine in it, but it's, I mean, it's fine. It's not something that I want to drink. I love it. You do? <laughs> yeah, I drank it as a kid. What's funny really? about it is at, at, the, at the old Yans in Fairmont, that was what you would go in and see. the Chocolate milk. We're, we're having like at nine in the morning or whatever, it was like six spicy hot dogs with chocolate <laughs> milk. Mm -hmm. Reading the newspaper, smoking cigarettes. It's the same thing here. Maybe it's That's a secret awesome. to a long life. The, the main difference, I forgot the, yeah, the thing about the Olneyville system is the mystery ingredient is that like they, all these guys are making these hot dogs in there, no gloves. And but they're like, you go in and you get like, yeah, I'm going to get three and she's going to have three and, you know, they're going to have three or whatever. And the guy's like, okay. And he like puts the buns on his raw, hairy arm with like, no sleeves. <laughs> and then he just like, tongs the, the wieners into the buns and like makes them up his arm and then he just like fires them off the head. it's just like his arm hair right and sweat and grease mm -hmm. all over the bottom of your hot dog yeah and that's the you guys should come and visit yeah we'll go i'd love that i'm getting hungry just thinking about arm hair <laughs> yeah um do the hot dogs snap in Rhode Island, is that a thing? There, yeah, okay. So they're like in a in like a real casing, like a serious like they're. Well, they're, yeah, yeah, they're in a I... long chain. They're in like, <laughs> but yes, they're. I don't think it's a real casing. I don't. I don't want to give them that much credit, but it's, it's, it's a something that some snaps. Kind of, yeah, human yeah. centipede vibes. <laughs> yeah, yes, very much so. I gotta surprise. I gotta say, I'm pretty surprised about the cottage cheese thing because. Um, not a fan here. Not a fan of cottage cheese. Um, how many how many times have you tried to like it? Though? Yeah. So the Great reason question. why the reason why I don't like cottage cheese is kind of insane. But there used to be this um, like salad bar uh, at this really like cheap steakhouse in my town that we would go eat at um, called Don Seafood, and uh, they uh, they had seafood. <laughs> I don't know like how or Anyway, they had a salad bar and the cottage cheese was like, 
I remember my, my mom really likes cottage cheese and she got it one day and she like took a bite of it and it was like warm and she was like kind of revolted at the texture and just I watched my mom spit out cottage cheese at a young age and I was just like I can't I can't eat this food dramatic, yeah. I'm like kind of over this uh whatever it is it's not worth me thinking about that every time I see it so I try my best to avoid it but I do know uh that I I hear it's good with peaches and the honey sounds good so maybe I'll give it a girl I went to college with used to eat balls of cottage cheese like covered in black pepper have you guys ever seen that after eating that just maybe not like covered but like a a dash like uh yeah she would she would just dump black pepper on cottage cheese and just eat that as like an entree pretty much like Elvis's eggs (laughs) (laughs) we put them in yeah I was gonna say we put cottage cheese in in uh omelet scramble before and you put it in the baked ziti ones i did <laughs> oh, i mean it's versatile you can use it in a I lot of it, ways i put it in belgian waffles and it did not work mm. i would say give it another shot yeah There's i'm gonna give it brands out there i'm gonna give it a whirl i haven't had it i probably haven't had it in 15 years so i'm gonna give it a whirl oh <laughs> you're overdue you have all new in your experience <laughs> yeah We'd love to share your cottage cheese experience on the internet. Okay. Yeah. I'll let you know what happens. This project is run by two Dairy Queens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Love cottage cheese so much. Well, anything you guys want to like promote, uh, we'll put the link to Dinner Bell in the show notes and everything there too. And we'll put the social media for all you guys too. Um, so definitely be sure you check it out. But yeah. Yeah. I guess just, you know, we're, we're doing rolling submissions now, so. Um, it's on the website. All, so it's on the website, so we're always looking for stuff. And, and um, yeah, the, the, the newsletter is pretty close to, to taking off, so we're going to be looking for, you know, writing for that as well, or, or art, or songs, or, I don't know, mixtapes. And I think actually we'd maybe we even take a few recipes every now and again for that. As long as there was other stuff around it. Mm-hmm. Is there a yeah. pre-order or will there be a pre-order um, happening for the next issue or how's that going to work? There, there, there will was... be, yeah. I think once we have a better handle on the, the actual printing timeline. Is that, sorry, were you going to say something? No, I was just going to say soon there will be a pre-order and you can order volume three. It's really beautiful. I think I didn't mention that. When you asked like where we were in the process, this one looks really, really good. Our first full color cover, like no white space, very vibrant color cover. Maximalism, baby. Maximalism. So I recommend buying it. Yeah. We were closing thoughts. I think people should buy it and subscribe to the Substack. And yeah. Send us an email. We always love to talk about food. So Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and t-shirts and tote bags. Where are we all where were we on that? Y'all got that? Yeah. We will like... have tote bags soon. Yes. Awesome. As well. No t-shirts. No t-shirts. Yeah, looking for ideas time. of merch. We're like t-shirts were they didn't really work. So if you guys have ideas of what you'd like to see Dinner Bell branded. <laughs> I stickers. Oh yeah, we do have some really washcloths, pizza cutters. We, I mean, we have phenomenal ideas. I think yeah. it's more just like 
if you're yeah. listening and you have a lot of money, yeah. call We're looking us. for an angel I, investor. Yes. We're looking for someone to... Kevin, I think you. you can get them on Shark Tank. Is that right? You still got that? I'll... I'll... I'll be your angel investor once Evan starts paying me. <laughs> Incredible. Love it. Oh my gosh. That, uh, yeah, I don't know what to tell you about that, Kevin. Um, I'll have to tell you off air. Okay. All right. Yeah, you know. sounds good. <laughs> well, thank you all for being here. I'm really excited for the third issue and all of your excellent work, beautiful minds. Um, and I'm excited to see where else dinner bell goes too i'm definitely excited for the substat and i'll be there for sure thank you for having thank us. you guys this was great, yeah, yeah. This great was our, our first podcast interview ever we're so happy it was with wow. you oh great <laughs> honored honored yep and just remember money is king Who sell out in the stores? You tell me who flopped, who caught the blue drop, who jewels got popped, who